Hey there, everyone. I just want to say thank you all so much for the love and support that you've shown me in the months after the publication of my book, Mastering Traditional Astrology. If you have loved reading MTA and if it has deepened your astrological relationship and practice in any way whatsoever, then please leave a five-star review for us over on Amazon.com. As a self-published author, this would mean the world to me because the more five-star high-quality reviews we get, the more Amazon promotes the book to a wider audience so that more and more people can experience the magic that is mastering traditional astrology. Thank you so much for your continued love and support, and thank you so much for your dedication to this extraordinary field of astrology. Well, after everything I've been listening to, I feel like I know just enough to be dangerous, so I probably have a very silly question, um, but I, I am not one of your students. Uh, someday I hope to be, but I have been studying astrology from uh, the Hellenistic perspective for a couple of years, so the terminology is okay, but trying to fit it into a whole different house system and all that kind of stuff is to challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, I have not been doing readings for people other than just, uh, would you mind letting me do a little practice with you and understand I'm a very big be beginner here, you know, so mm -hmm. I've done some of it, but um, not doing it professionally at all. My question regarding is regarding the use of the timing techniques of different sorts. There are so many of them. Uh, transits are a bit easier for me to deal with, but solar returns, annual perfections, zodiacal releasing, all of that kind of thing. I would like to start practicing more of that, some kind of timing technique. And I'm wondering if there is a timing technique that you find that you might suggest starting with um, to kind of enable me to get into that sort of area of stuff. One that maybe you find to be the most uh, reliable or the easiest to start practicing or whatever. So that's my question. This is a wonderful question. And it's wonderful because one, I love predictive astrology. People know me because of the blind chart readings I do. And that's actually how I became known within the astrological community because of blind chart natal astrology readings. However, what I have always wanted to do, which I have never done because I don't think that I've really had the sort of student population until now to do it, is I've always wanted to do blind chart predictive astrology readings. What that means is that somebody comes and they give a year of their life, for example, and I use my astrological techniques in order to discover what occurred to them within that year of their lives. That for me is my idea of a wonderful day and hopefully it's going to happen soon. And this question inspires me to make that happen. And that tends to be more of a high risk procedure than just giving a blind chart natal astrology reading, because even in the natal astrology reading, if you get it wrong, you really get it wrong. But within a blind chart predictive reading, if you get it wrong about a particular year of a person's life, the stakes are a little bit higher because you're speaking about a much more condensed period of time. So exciting times at the Oraculo School of Astrology. But the question has to do with what is my favorite predictive astrology technique? My favorite predictive astrology technique is natal astrology. Haha. <laughs> My favorite predictive astrology technique is natal astrology. And the reason for that is because nothing promised, nothing given. 
which is the name of my next book. Well, not the next one that I'm currently writing, but the one after that. Nothing promised, nothing given. And this notion of nothing promised, nothing given means that if it is not within your natal destiny within this lifetime for you to experience, you will not experience it. So the very first part of us understanding how to practice predictive astrology in a robust way is that we have to understand how to practice natal astrology in a robust way. And in order for us to practice natal astrology in a robust way, we have to understand the foundations of classical astrology in a robust way. And so I build the sort of teaching I offer my students at the Oracular School of Astrology based on the same framework. They learn FOCA, the foundations of classical astrology first, followed by natal astrology, followed by predictive astrology, because that makes sense from a pedagogical perspective. We have to understand how to navigate the realities of a person's destiny. And destiny is the most important thing from an astrological perspective. If you do not understand how to find the architecture of a person's destiny from their natal chart, then you have no right, astrological or otherwise, to assume that you will predict something about that person's future. Nothing promised, nothing given. So from that perspective, we have to be better natal astrologers. There's no way around that. We have to be able to look at a natal chart and we have to be able to cull and call out of that natal chart the architecture, the astrological, the astral, the planetary architecture of real world events from that person's chart. And this leads to a personal qualm that I have had with astrology for a long time. There is so much of astrology that occurs that is not concrete. And before I dive even deeper off of this cliff and completely impale myself and impale my reputation, let me just preface this by saying, I believe that psychological astrology is a wonderful tool within our overall astrological arsenal. I know nothing about psychological astrology. I've never studied it, not even one day in my life, and I never will. However, I believe that psychological astrology is a wonderful tool within our overall astrological arsenal. Because by means of psychological astrology, people have come to know themselves in a deeper way. And because psychological astrology is relatively easy, as far as you're counting up the elements within the person's chart and you're saying this person has five fire planets, two water planets, three earth planets, and one air planet. So it's, it's relatively easy to practice that sort of pre-astrology when you're counting elements or you're counting the modes or you're counting how many planets are above the horizon versus how many planets are below the horizon or you're saying whether the person's chart is shaped like a bucket or a kite or a seesaw or whatever. So there are these ways that psychological astrology has streamlined the astrological process in ways how the astrological process has never been streamlined before. There has been no one in the entire history of astrology before the last hundred years who's ever looked at the chart and said, oh, let me see if this chart is shaped like a bucket. <laughs> or, oh, let me see if this chart is shaped like a seesaw. No one has done that. It just hasn't occurred to people. But it occurred to people with the dawn of psychological astrology, which I think goes to show how versatile astrology as a practice is, because it has the ability to hold all of our craziness.
It has the ability to hold everything we say about it, which is a blessing as well as a curse, because there are some things we say about astrology that probably don't make sense within the larger unfolding of our astrological experience, but whatever. So getting back to this whole notion of the predictive astrology piece, we have to be able to speak about the concrete events from within a person's life, because when we do predictive astrology, you're not doing predictive astrology to talk about the energies that are unfolding. I mean, I know a lot of people like to use that word energies. My students know that I hate the word energies. And a part of why I hate the word energies is because there was an interview that was done on YouTube. And I recently looked at it again, and it has over a million views. And it is astrologists versus the astronomers, where the astronomers represented the scientific part of the argument that says that astrology is bogus, and then the astrologists had to defend their astrology. And I feel, and I know this has nothing to do with this particular question, but it has a lot to do with our industry in general, I feel like whenever those sorts of dialogues go on in public, they always choose the low-hanging fruits of the astrological industry. They always choose the people who have no practice, who are not masters of their craft, to stand up and defend astrology. And in the case of this particular interview, I think they found astrology influencers or something from social media to argue against these astronomers, astronomers who didn't even have strong points. Because the points that the astronomers brought to the table were also the low-hanging fruits of where to throw rocks from an astronomical perspective at astrologers. And so they started off with saying, your zodiac is fake. They started off by saying, your zodiac has 13 signs, it doesn't actually have 12 signs. They started off by saying the regular scientific rhetoric against astrology, which as practicing professional astrologers, we have an answer for all of it. We have an answer for why we use a zodiac of 12 signs as opposed to a zodiac of 13 signs. We have an answer for why we use a time-based zodiac as opposed to the space-based sidereal zodiac, those of us who practice tropical astrology. So anyway, the point of this is that I believe that scientists, if they're going to throw rocks at astrologers, they should throw rocks at astrologers who actually have the professional range to catch the rock and throw it back. Moving on. From a predictive astrology perspective, I hate the word energies because in that interview, the people who were defending astrology, they kept on using this word energies and the planets give us their energies and we learn from the planets energies. And it was this very pseudoscientific language that just doesn't make sense. They kept on talking about energy, energy, energy. So at the oracular school of astrology, nobody uses the word energy. It is banned from being used because we have to have a more nuanced way of speaking about what we do without trying to sound like pseudoscientists. So that's the first thing. So when we do predictive astrology, we aren't doing it from the perspective of knowing what the energies are in the future. We're doing it from the perspective of knowing what are the events that are unfolding within the future. You can't talk to a person about the energy of Mars is coming in their future and therefore, what does that do? What, does that, what effect does that actually have in a real world concrete way. And I know that that's intimidating for some people. And it's intimidating for people because people don't like to get things wrong. When I started off doing astrology, particularly the blind chart readings, a lot of my professional colleagues said to me, Michael, why are you doing that? You're risking your reputation. Suppose you get it wrong. 
And it never occurred to me that that could be a thing that I would hear from my own professional colleagues because it made me realize that many people who are professionally practicing and teaching and writing books about astrology are people who hold these deep-rooted fears within themselves regarding getting it wrong in public. But if that is your primary fear, getting it wrong in public, how do you leave room or where does the room for getting it right actually exist within the context of your practice? So I don't know about that part of things. I've never had to navigate that fear and I've also never always been accurate. There have been times when I've been very accurate giving someone a reading, either within a blind chart reading context or even within a private one-on-one -on -one context. And there have been times when I've been very wrong giving someone a reading once again within the very public blind chart reading context and within the private one-on-one -on -one reading context. And there's this quote, it's a Japanese quote that I absolutely love, and it says that it says that we should maintain a sense of peace and equipoise when we pass through victory as well as defeat. So the point of the quote is to remain calm, remain in your center, remain in your midpoint when you experience either victory or defeat. Nothing should ever speed you up and nothing should ever slow you down if you hold yourself within this perspective of knowing that what you do has integrity and knowing that you're doing it from a perspective of integrity and knowing that you've put enough of your effort behind it so that those efforts can yield fruits of success within your life. And even if they don't yield fruits of success because you chose to go down the wrong path, it doesn't mean that the system itself is broken. So back to this point of my favorite predictive astrology technique, it is natal astrology because within natal astrology, we are already laying down a predictive framework. We're already saying this person will experience financial success. This person will experience financial poverty. This person will experience multiple marriages. This person will experience sterility. This person will experience this particular type of issue. This person will experience this accident. This person will experience this conflict. This person will experience this victory. We're already saying this person will. And from the perspective of saying this person will, the stronger we get at being able to do that from a natal perspective, that strength and that conviction naturally leads us into a predictive astrological framework. Now, at the Oraculo School of Astrology, the predictive astrological framework that my students learn first is solar returns. And the reason why they learn solar returns first is because solar returns represent a symbolic chart that can be read. Transits are not a symbolic chart that can be read. Secondary directions are not a symbolic chart that can be read. Solar arc directions are also not a symbolic chart that can be read. Those are simply positions. Primary directions are also not a symbolic chart that can be read. Those are just positions that we superimpose onto our chart. So from a pedagogical perspective, it's more of a cognitive leap to jump from reading charts within your natal astrology education to reading something that isn't chart-based at all, such as transits. Now, 
Anyway, I have other things to say about the transits later on. Transits do tend to be the low-hanging fruits of predictive astrology because anybody can see that planet, that the degree of that planet has come to square the degree of your natal something, therefore. So the transits are a very straightforward way of talking about current events and how those current astrological events are directly impacting our lives. However, the transits topic is still a cognitive leap for a lot of students and transits are a little bit more complicated than people realize because the transiting planets don't just represent what those planets represent universally, but those transiting planets also correspond with what those planets rule within the context of your birth chart. And if you're actually practicing transit work from an advanced perspective, then you're going to view the transiting Saturn, not just based on the transiting Saturn in the sky, but you're also going to view that transiting Saturn based on which houses that transiting Saturn specifically is ruling within your nativity, which is something that we don't actually hear spoken of a lot within the context of astrological transit work. So I don't teach transits to my intermediate students first, I teach them solar returns. Now solar returns, are a little bit more complicated than just reading the basic natal chart. Because within a solar return reading, you're not just reading the solar return chart, you're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between the solar return chart and the natal chart and the solar return chart and the natal chart. And you're going back and forth until you can find a midpoint between them that represents a means of integrating the solar return into the natal chart and integrating the natal chart chart within the soul return chart because a soul return chart can only bring out of your life that which is already predetermined within your birth chart. No soul return chart can bring you something that your natal chart hasn't already promised. No lunar return chart can bring you something that your soul return chart hasn't already promised that your natal chart hasn't already promised. So all of these charts that are subsidiary charts are subsidiary charts to our actual natal chart. So there is no way of just reading the soul return chart by itself. I know many astrologers who are once again top-notch world-class astrologers who would never do a soul return reading at all. And the reason for that is because they say that the soul return just doesn't work. They've never seen a soul return chart that works. And a part of the problem is because they've never learned how to do good soul return technique. <sighs> You could practice astrology for 50 years and never learn how to do something correctly. So just because a practitioner has been within a field for a very long period of time does not actually mean that they've been practicing correctly for their entire span of their astrological practice. So those astrologers who are top-notch astrologers but who feel as if soul returns aren't valuable, they've probably never actually done a soul return reading with this sense of going back and forth between the soul return chart and the natal chart to make those those two things sing the same song. Most people who dismiss soul returns, one, 
they don't even know the location where you should cast the soul return chart for, which let me just say now so that everybody can be absolutely clear, the only location you should be casting your soul return charts for is your natal location. We do not cast a relocated soul return chart. You cannot fly to Timbuktu on your birthday because you want your soul return chart to be cast for Timbuktu when you were actually born in New Jersey because your New Jersey soul return chart is the one that is going to unfold within the context of your life, not your Timbuktu soul return chart. I've had people contend this with me and I've had people say that they don't believe this is true and I've had people present their arguments as to why it is not true. But for the most part, I've never seen those people give a reading in their life. I've never seen them give a blind chart reading. I've never seen them give a soul return reading. And it's very easy to retrospectively read Michael Jackson's soul return chart after Michael Jackson is already dead. It's very easy to retrospectively read Whitney Houston's soul return chart after Whitney Houston is already dead because speaking about the charts of public figures, it predisposes itself to a certain level of being able to make anything up, basically, which is why I've never in a bajillion million years ever done a, an astrology demonstration using the chart of a public figure because where is the fun in that? How do we actually get that person's feedback as to what actually occurred within their lives? I've never seen Whitney Houston go to an astrologer. So I think that we need to root our astrology in the lives of actual people because that is where we actually learn the best. So you telling me that Whitney Houston was born in New Jersey, but you casted her solar return chart for that year when she was in Washington and the Washington chart makes more sense for her life. You don't know that makes more sense for her life because you don't know that person. However, if you're working with clients on a consistent basis and giving soul return readings to clients on a consistent basis, I think that is more a good territory to figure things out in. And within the context of my client work, I won't even say I've discovered because I've never tried a relocated chart. I give very concrete and accurate soul return readings by only ever using the natal location of a person. And that is as true for me as saying that the fourth house is the house of the father and the 10th house is the house of the mother. I don't just say that as a result of having some attachment to some classical model of astrology. I say that because it works. So when it comes to soul return work, soul returns seem to be the natural next place an astrologer should express or exercise their astrological abilities after gaining mastery in natal astrology. And then after you gain mastery in soul return work, you can explore all of the other multiple types of arc-based predictive methods. At the Oraculo School of Astrology, we divide our predictive astrology methods into two categories. There are chart-based predictive methods and arc-based predictive methods. Within the chart-based predictive method, we are reading a symbolic chart, such as the solar return chart or the monthly lunar return chart. We're reading a symbolic chart and using that symbolic chart to predict the events that will unfold within a person's life within the period specified by that chart. So some chart-based predictive methods are the solar return, 
the converse solar return, the lunar return, the converse lunar return, the embolismic lunation, the synodic lunation, the 12th harmonic solar return, the demi-solar return, the quartisolar return, the demi-lunar return, the an-lunar return, the quartilunar return. All of these things constitute chart-based predictive methods. Arc-based predictive methods, on the other hand, are predictive methods where we are symbolically moving our natal planet forward in time at a predetermined rate. So, for example, we know that in primary directions, we're moving all of our natal planets around the chart at the same rate of motion they would move within one 24-hour period. Whereas in secondary directions, we're moving all of the planets within our chart at the rate that they would move using a key of one day of calendar time equals one year within the life of that person. Solar arc directions, on the other hand, moves everything within our chart at the same rate of our secondary progressed sun, which is basically one degree a year, more or less. So these arc-based predictive methods move the planets within our chart at a predetermined rate, and then we compare those new planetary positions to the actual positions of our natal chart, and through that comparison, we get the framework of the concrete events that will unfold within the life of that person. That is completely different from reading a chart. And since that's completely different from reading a chart, it's very difficult for new students to predictive astrology to understand how to use arc-based methods of prediction as their primary tool. So from me and to you, what I would say is, if you wanted to get into predictive astrology, after having first mastered natal astrology, go on to solar return work within your astrological practice. And truthfully, once you learn how to properly read a solar return chart, you can apply that rubric to any of the chart-based predictive methods. So knowing how to read a solar return chart gives you the keys to the kingdom to also reading an embolismic lunation, a lunar return chart, a direct solar return chart, a converse solar return chart, the demi-solar return chart, knowing this one rubric for how to read a solar return chart accurately is the same rubric that we use to read all of these smaller subsidiary symbolic charts. So start there. The last thing I'll say is I am a chicken and rice sort of astrologer. And what that means is that I only promise the world that I can produce chicken and rice. I don't promise the world that I can produce chicken and rice and salad and steak and tuna and the next thing and the salmon and everything. All I know how to make is chicken and rice. And at the Oracular School of Astrology, our version of a chicken and rice menu looks like natal astrology, the solar return chart, any of the directional methods. So that could be secondary directions, solar arc directions, and transits. I don't really personally, me, Michael Bryan, I don't really care that much about other predictive methods to really feel the need to bring them deeply into my astrological practice. I'm not a part of the Hellenistic astrology movement, so I don't do the perfections. I technically, me, Michael Bryan, on the Isle of Mike, I technically don't understand the philosophy I understand the philosophy behind perfections. I don't understand the mechanism that would make me feel as if perfections work. 
because I don't like any version of astrology where we make broad generalizations for everyone that says that everybody who is 24 years old is going to be going through a this house sort of year, or everyone who is 60 years old is going to be going through a this house sort of year. That just doesn't make sense for me at all. I'm also not very big on Fridaria. I know amazing astrologers who practice Fridaria and who get amazing results from that. But that also, for me, within the context of my practice, it feels like something that's a little bit artificial that's being placed onto the realities of a human life. So I don't do perfections. I don't do Fridaria. I don't even know what zodiacal releasing is. And I don't want to know. And the reason why I don't want to know is because I think that as astrologers, especially as astrologers who practice astrology in a robust, demonstrable sort of way, we need to have our bag of things that we use that we know works. And we need to know that those things are going to work for us all the times. And so we can't really flip-flop back and forth between techniques. And we also can't flip-flop back and forth between house systems and say, oh, let me see how this person's house systems look if I use whole sign houses. And let me see how it looks in Placidus. And let me see how it looks in Coke. And let me see how it looks in Reggio Montanus. Because the only people who really have time to do that are people who aren't actually practicing astrology with clients. And so we don't really have time to do that. That's not something we could do in a live public astrology demonstration. So if we couldn't do it in a live public astrology demonstration, which I think is what we all should be striving towards doing, demonstrating astrology in a live setting, if we're not going to do it in a live setting, we probably shouldn't make that be a habit that we form for ourselves. So I would say to you that whatever you're going to do from a predictive perspective, pick two things and pick only two things and only use those two things as what you are going to practice. For the first five years of your predictive astrology practice and see how far those things take you as opposed to feeling as if you need to add every single thing that exists within the heavens and the earth to your predictive astrology practice. Because the problem with astrology isn't that there's too little information, is that there's too much information. So if you want to use zodiacal releasing and perfections, I don't even know if those two things are the same thing or if they're different, but if you want to use zodiacal releasing and perfections, only use those things and let those things work their magic for you and let those things give you the answers that you need. If you want to do soul returns and transits, only do those things. Because we need a primary thing that we're doing and we need something else to check it up. We need something else to use as corroboration. So we will always need a primary system and we will always need a corroborating second opinion. So I think all of us should have two predictive astrology methods, but we shouldn't have five. I want to tell you how much I appreciate your approach because I have felt um, I, I want to be accurate in what I do and as accurate as I can be. And it has seemed to me as I've been taught how to do the perfections and all that other kind of stuff, it seems as though each one is almost like creating a different language to speak to the oracle as you look at a chart. Mm -hmm. and, and it's complex enough to learn one language, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I really appreciate your approach and one of these days, maybe I'll save up enough money to take your course, <laughs> but I have your book and I've already read half of it and it's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. When it comes to the language of astrology, astrology is a magical practice. It's a mystical practice. It's a spiritual practice. 
but it's also a tangible and a technical field. And I think anything that we do long enough becomes a magical, mystical, spiritual experience while still being a technical field. I think if you practice law for long enough and you really love law, every fiber of your being is created in the image of a lawyer, and you do that for long enough, you move into a sweet spot within your legal profession that is magical, mystical, spiritual, but still very technical. You still have to be rooted within the technicalities of law that allow you to show up and demonstrate law to the world. I think if you practice medicine, it's the same thing. If you are completely entrenched in the medical profession and that is all you ever care about, it's all you ever think about, it's the fullness of your being, then I'm pretty sure that at some point in time that goes from just being a job and it becomes an act of service. It becomes a magical, uh, spiritual, mystical experience because you're doing something that connects you with your purpose in life. And anything that connects us with our purpose in life is a magical, spiritual, mystical experience. However, medicine is still a highly technical field. And no matter how good feeling or no matter what other feelings of exaltation we have surrounding it, or no matter what our philosophy about our medical practice might be, it's still highly technical. And we still have to rely on those technical bones that we've grown for ourselves through our many years of training in order to show up within the world and practice exceptional and extraordinary medicine, if that is your particular craft. Astrology is no different. Astrology is a magical spiritual, mystical field. And when we practice it, those of us who are born to be great astrologers, we practice the astrology, it automatically snaps us into our dharma, into our purpose, into our reason for being here. However, that astrology should also be demonstrable and it should also be something that's transferable. You can't, as a practitioner, be so caught up within the magic and the intuition of what you're doing that you can't actually explain that to somebody else. Because if you can't explain it to somebody else, then it makes it only hocus pocus, but it doesn't actually make it something that can be taught or that can be replicated. And as astrologers of any caliber, not any caliber, but as great astrologers, we need to be able to replicate our abilities and we need to be able to see those abilities replicated within the lives of our students because if we can't teach a system to our students then it says that we probably don't have a system whatsoever so it's very easy to do something on the spot and make it up on the spot or follow the urge or the impulse of your intuition on the spot and even though astrology creates the space for your intuition to arise, it creates the space for your intuition to arise within a very structured framework of logic. And that logic may not be logical to the astronomer, but that logic makes complete sense within the framework of astrological wisdom. And if you can't explain what you're doing within a particular reading based on some pre-established framework of astrological logic, then you need to go back to the drawing board and think about that. Because if it's only useful within you, it's probably not that useful at all.
If you're enjoying these Q&A segments and you'd like to work with either myself or an OSA certified astrologer, then by all means check out our website where you can book yourself a high quality astrological consultation today. Also, I answer many of these questions and more in my book, Mastering Traditional Astrology, A Depth of Beginning in the Celestial Art, which you can buy a copy of on Amazon.com.